Hi, my name is Grace. The Old Testament reading is found in Samuel 8, 1 through 9, and 19 through 20. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned against their after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of, the, of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the, but the things displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, and we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Chris, and this is Arthur. The New Testament reading is found in Romans 12, 1, 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and perfect. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Steve. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading this morning found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 through 23. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The Gospel of the Lord. Please stay standing as we pray. Lord, we thank you for a day, a day to be alive, a day to come and worship you a day to come and look intently at you and at your word. And we just ask that this day, today, our hearts would be receptive, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that understand, that we would turn to you, that you would heal us. To your glory and your kingdom come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. 
Well, good morning, beloved. My name is Evan Riedahl. I am one of the two pastors here with New Life Downtown, two associate pastors. There is a third. His name is Glenn Packiam. Uh, he hasn't been around for a while because he's on sabbatical. And so this summertime for the six, seven weeks that he's gone, um, we get to just kind of we get to have fun, I feel. We get to lead, we get to play, we get to do things and still have to wear shorts. I'm so sorry, Joey. Um, But we're having a lot of fun, and Glenn will be back in about another three or four weeks. But for this month of July, we are finding ourselves in a series about Thy Kingdom Come. And this is not a series necessarily through the Lord's Prayer, Thy Kingdom Come, Thy Will Be Done, where we pulled the phrase from. Uh, It's more a series of looking at what is the kingdom of God? How does it manifest itself on earth? How do we... How do we see it, view it, respond to it? How do we find ourselves according to the same rhythms and flowing in the same vein as what is this kingdom and then how then shall we live? So we're in week two. Joey set us up last week with week one and I want to give a quick recap of what he was talking about. Um, First, looking at the word kingdom. It's the Greek word basilia. It's found 162 times in the New Testament. I only mention that because if it's found that many times, uh, average words, different authors will use different words. So John will use different words than Luke, than Mark, than Paul, and so on and so forth. So usually you find the concentration of certain Greek words within their letters. But what we're finding is that through all of the Gospels, through Paul's letters, through Revelation, through John, whoever is writing, they're saying there's something about the kingdom, this basilia. There is something about what God is doing, and it's manifesting itself as a kingdom. Uh, The definition of it is the rule and the reign of God. So where we find the kingdom of God is wherever we're finding the rule and the reign of God. And Joey went through last week looking at, we have to understand the nature of the king. That he is just, that he is generous, and that he equips. He took us through the prodigal son story and and just seeing the father in that story as God and what is the nature of the king in this story. We're looking at the character of the king, that he is relational, that there is no concept of kingdom apart from relationship. It's this, he is our king, but we get to be his subjects or his servants, or we get to be the ones who are part of the kingdom. We truly get to be the citizens of this kingdom. And that relationship, it, it, it has far-reaching impact, and we're going to talk more about that today. And then lastly, the authority of the king. Jesus operated in the authority of God because he was submitted to the authority of God. And that God's rule upholds his kingdom. That, that God's kingdom, he, he is king and his rule reigns ultimately. And as part of that, we are under that rule. And Jesus comes and manifests that kingdom to us. And he's able to function in the full power and authority of God because he is submitted to the power and the authority of God. And there is something about all these things. The character of the son and the father. The relationship between them and the nature of that. And... and and the authority that is then said, in your submission, I'm, I'm lending my authority to you. Now go and function in that. That we see, there's this wonderful movie, Sound of Music. Do you guys love it? Perfect. It has very little to do with this sermon, except we're going to start in the beginning. It's a very good place to start. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I only mention it because when we're understanding biblically the concept of king or kingdom, we really need to understand that this story and Jesus' story, the biblical story, is wrapped up in the people of Israel. And that the people of Israel, there is a history of what a king and a kingdom means. If I was to come and say to you, Jesus is king, great news, you'd go, 
I don't even know what that means. I'm an American in the 21st century. We have a president. I really even don't like him. And we got to vote on it. And what, what does that mean? And so looking back and saying, let's start in the beginning. Let's start with giving ourselves a context of what is king and kingdom and how does that look in the story. And then when we find Jesus in the midst of that, who are we actually looking at? And what kind of kingdom are we actually peering into in the scriptures? So let's start in the beginning. A very good place to start. Creation, Adam, Eve, there's a fall, they get kicked out, there's a couple of other things that happen, tower, flood, all of that, and then we get to Genesis 12, and we get to Abram, who becomes Abraham, and God gives him a blessing and says, through you all nations will be blessed, I'll make you into a great people. This is my promise to you, and that promise carries through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob ends up having the brothers, there's the, the crazy coup against him, he goes to Egypt. In Egypt, the brothers eventually come down. The nation of Israel goes there with the famine, and then they start multiplying, right? 400 years later, we pick it up in the book of Exodus. And in Exodus, we, we, we see a nation not of just a couple of brothers, their wives, and spouses, but we see millions, a couple of million Jews now. And they're in slavery. I want to give you the concept, still no kingdom, Okay. This is a people. This is a people built on relationship. This is a people built on promise. This is a people. And God says, I'm going to deliver you, my people, out of Pharaoh's hand, out of slavery. I'm going to deliver you to the promised land, which was promised to Abram back in the beginning. That promise is still true. So as he builds the story, he delivers them. There's miracles. There's the pillar, the cloud, the Red Sea. There's manna. There's quail. There's water coming out of rocks. Still no kingdom. And they wander through the desert for 40 years. A generation dies off. A new generation comes in. Finally, they go into the promised land, but without Moses, because he disobeyed, hit a rock twice instead of speaking to it. Okay, so Joshua comes, and he leads them into the promised land, and they drive out, and they start taking land. Still not technically a kingdom. And then the judges, the reign of the judges, seven of them in the book of Judges, and they judge the people, and they judge from right and wrong, and they bring peace, they bring order, they bring the flourishing of this nation. Still not a kingdom. And then you get to the book of Samuel. If you guys have your Bibles, open it up to 1 Samuel 8. I'm going to refer to it a lot, so it wouldn't do you harm to keep your Bibles or your phones on that page, okay? 1 Samuel, Samuel rises, the word is rare, Samuel starts getting the word, and, and, and the Lord starts doing something, and then the people come and say, we want a king. We want a king. Why do they want a king? Is it because they're saying, we see that God is ultimately forever, he is a king, and we want someone just like him. That's not what we find. We, what we find is they say, we are looking not vertically, but we're looking horizontally at all the nations around us, the other people groups, the ones that don't even bow their knee to Yahweh, and we see that they have a king, and we want to be like them. We want what they have. Samuel, you're the leader of this thing. Give us a king, and it was based on their human perspective, their human fears, their human desires, whatever it was that they're saying, we want what the world has. We want the systems of the world. We want the ways of the world. Appoint a king over us. And it's in this story that Samuel, not so happy about it, rightfully so, goes to the Lord and God says, give them what they want. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. 
They're not rejecting your ways. They're not rejecting you as the prophet. They're not rejecting all the ministry that you've done to them. They're, not re- they're rejecting me and my ways. The fact that I am their king, and that's what they're rejecting. So it is in this place that we start seeing the story of Israel as a kingdom. And as it unfolds through the rest of the Old Testament, Samuel, Chronicles, Kings, the prophets, minor and major, the psalmists, David, Solomon, everyone after their line, exile, we're coming back, and we're coming back to a story. And if we're looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, Matthew's a great part because you start seeing this. Israel has a context of what kingdom looks like now. They reigned, they ruled, they expanded their territory, they drove out nations, they built up their wealth. And they start looking around, and, and, and they're going, this is pretty great. And then they disobey the Lord. They do it again, again, again. They finally go to exile. And so we're, we're, we're showing up, and this whole time there, too, they're going, but there's a Messiah. There's some sort of king over us, the Savior that we're looking for, and he's coming. Continue to remember the words, too. What is the character? What is the nature? What is the authority of the king? We're kind of looking for the one who's going to rule ultimately, And they get out of exile. They're back in Israel in this promised land. So they're set up in the place and where the kingdom, the physical kingdom should be. But they're still under the rule of another king. It's Caesar. It's Rome. It's it's thousands of miles away. And John the Baptist shows up on the scene in the beginning of Matthew. Repent. Why? What's close? What's near? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And so you start seeing what, you start seeing a little bit of a difference being teased out. It starts in the very beginning because they're not rejecting you, Samuel, as king. They're rejecting me, God, as king. So even then we start seeing there's a way of the world and then there's a way of God. There's a kingdom of man and there's a kingdom of God or a kingdom of heaven if you're looking at Luke. Matthew, Matthew, Luke. And they're rejecting this. And then John the Baptist comes on and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And he's saying, the whole mode of this kingdom, guess what, it's being ushered in with something, repentance. I don't understand how that's possible, that it's repentance that's bringing forth the kingdom or that that was somehow ushered in, but okay. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he, he baptizes, he starts preaching. And we find ourselves in the midst of this story. And we were looking last week at the Beatitudes. And the kingdom of God starting to be ushered in by Jesus and what he's saying. Because if you look at the Beatitudes, Matthew 6, 7, and 8, basically they are Jesus saying, this is the way of God. These are the values. If you're looking for character, these are the characteristics. If you're looking at the nature of God, this is the nature. I'm going to start teasing it out for you. If you're looking at the authority, I'm preaching, and, and Joey mentioned it last week. At the, if you get to Matthew 8, the end of it, they were astonished because he was teaching as one with authority. And Jesus starts his ministry, and he starts with his first and longest sermon to these people. And this, this is the way of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like, and he's continually bringing forth this message, and they're starting to sow it over and over again. The way of the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And it's different than what the people thought. It's different. God's kingdom was not the land and it wasn't the ruler. 
Even Israel thought way back then, it's going to be a place and it's going to be a person, a, a man figure, and we want a king like all the other nations. And Jesus comes on the scene and he starts, he starts shifting the paradigm for them. And he starts saying, God's kingdom is wherever and whenever God reigns as king. God's kingdom is wherever and whenever God reigns as king. It is no longer bound by your human institutions. It is no longer bound by wealth and by armies. It is wherever and whenever God is reigning as king. And I am ushering in a sovereign kingdom over not just a land, but over all the earth. And I'm ushering in a citizenship and a character and a nature within that that is far greater in scope than you guys can imagine. And so I'm going to start teaching you, showing you a different alternative way to live, not as, king, not, as, not as citizens of this kingdom of earth looking around us and saying, we're taking our cues from the other nations. But I'm going to show you a way that you take your cues from the very king of the world. And my kingdom is of heaven, is of God. And it's wherever and whenever I am reigning as king and rule, authority, the rule in the realm. He calls this out very specifically in the book of Luke, 1721. Not just it's going to look different, but it starts. The place where it starts is you and your hearts coming under the rule. So wherever and whenever doesn't look geographical anymore. It looks like the space and the confines of, of our chests, our own souls. Luke 17, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And Jesus starts preaching. He starts showing and unfolding. Look, your expectations for all of time have been, there's, we want what the world has. We want it like the systems of man. And he even says in John chapter 18, my kingdom is not of this world. And he starts telling them, start switching your thinking. I can use those kingdoms. I can use the government. I can use those authorities, yes. But my kingdom, my rule, my reign is different. It's paradoxically different. And if you want to talk about Paradox, it's one of those things where we don't really understand, okay, Jesus, your kingdom, your kingdom, I'm, you started with the Beatitudes, Matthew 6, blessed are those who mourn. Is this really the way of your kingdom? Yes, it's because it's different. When you understand mourning and embrace that, you're going to understand and comfort And something will be different. My kingdom will start having reign because the rule and reign of my comfort will start coming over you as a people. Start thinking differently. One, it's not here. It's God as king. And then it's not the land that we're standing on. It's our very own hearts that he's after. As he goes on, and it doesn't doesn't look like what we thought it would, he's he's teaching a way of the kingdom that is so different that if the kingdom is authority, it's nature, it's the power, it's the rule and the reign, he starts teaching it in such a way that it's, okay, will you, my citizens, my servants, us, the people of God, be so subject to trust the ways of my kingdom that it starts actually affecting 
the ways that you live. Because my kingdom is real. Jesus ushers it in. But there's this part of it that he's saying, it is not of flesh and blood yet. The fullness will come. Right now, it is of faith. And will you give yourself over to faith to believe, to value so much my kingdom and my ways that you start, you start living differently as though you were truly a subject of a different kingdom on earth? There's this mentor friend of mine up in Denver. His name is Wes Roberts, and, and he, does, he does mentor coaching, and he trains businesses, and, and um, he goes into, you know, nonprofits or, or corporate businesses and stuff, and basically teaches them mentoring models. And his entire model is based off of relatively kingdom principles, that at the core, what we believe and value will then determine every other aspect of life, how we live. What we believe and value determines how we live. And God is coming and instituting and he's saying, I have a kingdom. It's not of this world. It's totally different. It's not what you thought. It wasn't man-made. It is God over reigning over us. Where does it start? It starts within. They're going to say, look, there it is. Here it is. But it really starts within. And this kingdom brings certain values. Just like we were talking, there's a character of the king. There's a nature of the king. It's relational. There's an authority of the king. I'm bringing these values to you and I'm asking you, oh my people, the citizens of this kingdom who are coming under my rule, to say, will you trust me? Will you believe and value the ways of this kingdom, not of this world so much, that you actually start living differently? Will you hold it in here that it would affect everything and everywhere you go and what you do. Um, let me flesh this out a little bit because I, I really think there's, there's an idea here that I want to get past today. Think of money. How do you believe and value money? Are you a person within money that believes that money is, I, I value money as status? And therefore, when I make money, I'm making money so that I can buy nice stuff, I can have a nice house, I can drive a nice car, I can wear some slick clothes. I mean, I value money to the point where I shop at Kohl's Clearance Rack. So, like, you can kind of get, okay, so that guy's not valuing money as status as much. Great. But maybe you do. Maybe you value money in a sense of generosity. Generosity in such a way to say, money is a tool. It's a tool for which I can then come and be generous and I can give, and I can bless, and I can give away. Maybe money is power. The more I have, the more influence I can have, the more power I can have over society, over culture. I'm a businessman. I'm growing businesses, and money in that is a tool to continually build those businesses and grow it outwards. How you believe and value money, what you believe in it as, will then determine what you do and how you live with that money. Other examples, time. Are you a play first and work later kind of person? Anyone? Yeah. Are you a work first and play later kind of person? Are you a, I value family time. I value alone time. I believe that I am an introvert, so I need more alone time. I believe in, in community, so I'm going to invite as many possible people I can over to my house as often as I can. How you believe, what you believe and value about time will determine then how you invest and how you spend it. The core belief affects how you live. 
the last one, friends and family. Karen and I, Karen's family lives in Seattle. And we, we take a trip probably at least twice a year, sometimes three times a year, depending, to go and visit family. It's Christmas time, sometimes Thanksgiving or summer, or whatever, special holidays, special events. It's one of those things, we, we spend a lot of time and a lot of money traveling to visit family. Because we have a core belief and conviction that says, we value family. We value and believe that God has set us in family, that he has something for us through and in that family and by that family. So we're going to take our time, our resources, and our core belief of family is going to affect how we spend our lives pursuing family, making sure that we're in relationship with family, um, going to meals with family, just prioritizing them on our calendars. What we believe that family should be uphold then affects how we live and how we act. The question then, if we're coming from, Lord, I believe your king, that your kingdom is not of this world, that your kingdom starts within, that you usher in a kingdom through the gospels, that you show us your way, your character, your nature, your authority. Do we believe and value God's kingdom, his rule and his reign in our hearts so much that we allow it to affect the way that we live? Yeah, God's kingdom, great. Love the idea. In principle, believe it. Carte blanche. It's it. It's yes. I affirm the kingdom of God. Well, how then shall we live? Does it affect? Does it influence? Does, does it instruct the way in which we live? Well, maybe I don't. Okay, sometimes. We come under God's rule and reign by submitting his authority, his plans, his character, his nature, his rule among us, within us, with us. It's things like this past week, sadly enough, not new in the news. But I think Joey nailed something in the prayer moment when he said, the most powerful thing that we can engage in on earth as the church is prayer. Are we a people of a kingdom in which the king, Jesus, God, comes and says, pray, pray for one another, pray for your enemies. Mourn with those who mourn, grieve with those who grieve, rejoice with those who rejoice. So much that then it affects the way in which we are living. Or are we turning on the news, kind of like Israel did, and looked and said, everyone else has a king, and I want what everyone else has. And I'm going to be more influenced in the way that I live and believe by the, the realms of man than by the rule and the reign of God. Are the ways of the kingdom actually better? Do we trust it? Do we trust? Are we Israel who maybe has heard that God is supposed to be king and yet never really trusted so much that when the time came, they said, no, Samuel, we're done. Look at all the other nations. They got kings. We want to be like them. We want what they have. Or we as the people of God, are we called to be such an alternative society that we don't only proclaim and preach, hey, there's a kingdom, but we start leaning into it and trust that its ways are better. Ways like forgive one another, 
how many of us hold on to some portion of unforgiveness within our hearts? Some something because we've been told that you have a right. You, yeah, you shouldn't. Look what they did. Look at, look at what's going on. No, you don't need to forgive. You have a right to be upset. And yet, we're telling ourselves that we're citizens of an alternative way of life, of, of a kingdom not of this world, in which a value, a core belief is forgive and you will be forgiven. Forgive and let it go and you will see and find a full reign of God in your own life. That the rule and the reign, the way of God will come upon you when you walk in the ways to the degree that, he's, that you're trusting, that you're leaning, that you're saying, I'm going to do it and I might not know what happens, but I'm just going to start leaning in and trusting in this way of the kingdom. Or if we're looking at the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. When you're poor in spirit and have nothing to lose, no one can control and manipulate you by taking something away. Jesus could not be controlled by governments over him. Because what did he have? Foxes have holes, birds have nests. Son of man has nowhere to go. You can't influence me with your worldly statuses of, of, of richness. Because my riches are in heaven, where fire cannot destroy and moth cannot eat. It starts shifting. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the kingdom of earth. Why meekness? Why not, why not just go get them, build your kingdom? Well, if you're meek, then you have no power to lose, at least no perceived power. Lord, I believe that my power comes from you, that my, my peace in my heart is provided by you, and I will function out of that meekness in this world, and it's something that they can't take away because they cannot take you away. God, you're so interested in my heart. The kingdom not just reigning in my actions, but my actions overflowing from my core beliefs and values that your reign would so be in my heart that it affects the way that I live. Why? Because when I'm engaging with the world and the kingdoms of this world, whatever it is, they can't take away because they can never take you away. Blessed are the mourners. You'll understand comfort. I said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Why? For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. Lord, we, we are never considered blessed when we're persecuted. Well, hopefully we're persecuted for righteousness' sake. If it's not righteousness, check yourself. But if we're persecuted for righteousness' sake, Blessed are you, for yours is the, is the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because we're walking in such a way that we're recognizing our inheritance, our, our worth, our value, what we have, who we are, is not of this world, and it cannot be taken away. And if you're persecuting me because of it, I'm gaining it all the more. I must be. Because if it's not of this world and you're resisting that, just like Israel, just like Israel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me and my ways. They're wanting a king like the rest of the world. When I'm telling you, my kingdom is not like this world. It's not of this world. It is such a way, often contrary to this world, that when they're persecuting you because of it, blessed are you because you're gaining it all the more. You're doing it. You're living in it. As we come towards this table today, towards this cross, towards this bread, this wine, I want us to think about this one thing. 
Jesus. Jesus was the incarnation of the kingdom. If we're saying that the kingdom, the basilia, is the full rule and reign, the core belief which then affects all of our actions, it's the way that Joey phrased it last week. Jesus is functioning in the full authority of God because he's submitted to the full authority of God. He lives in a way that is so contrary that all of these things that he's saying, this is the way of the kingdom, this is the way, that he ends up not just getting persecuted, but persecuted to the point of death. Death on a cross with a sign that hangs over his head. It says, Jesus, King of the Jews. That the king that they were looking for the entire time, they missed completely because they were looking according to the world's ways, the world's vision, the world's status, the world's standpoints, the world's values. And Jesus is coming and saying, guys, it is so radically different than the world that you missed it to the point of my crucifixion. And yet somehow, Pilate gets it marked right over his cross, king of the Jews. My kingdom fully ushered in. The one that you were looking for, wanting, desiring, the things you were wanting the whole time are coming. But they are not the kingdom of man or of earth. They are the kingdom of heaven. And guess what? That full reign, that full power, authority, nature, characteristics were exemplified, embodied in the person of Jesus. And we can't, we can't do it. We can't, we can't live this life like we're supposed to when we're listening to the world more than we're listening to God. I mean that not only in the way that we would say, oh, should I do A or should I do B? Should I do man's ways or God's ways? But I think so often, probably like Israel, they were looking around the rest of the nations and they were getting their cues for how then shall we live from the other nations around them. When what God would come and say is, I want you to so be in me, united with me, remain in me, that you understand that you're listening, that you're hearing my ways, Romans 12, 2, and no longer conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test, test it, yes, and approve it, what God's ways are, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will in your life, in our way. So that when you get to the point and you're wondering, I'm looking at the news station and not wondering what then shall I do, but coming with the full word of God burning on the inside saying, Lord, your ways are forgiveness, they're repentance, they're confession, they're dependence. They are not hope of this world, they are hope of the world to come. They are not hope that a man can fix anything going on, but they are a hope that you have started and are ushering in your kingdom and that your rule and reign might be over my heart so that when I go from my house, I would come in a contrary spirit to this world and say, I am bringing love where there is hate. I'm bringing forgiveness where there is hardness. I'm bringing gentleness where there is rage. I'm bringing with me, carrying with me, a kingdom of God, it is affecting the outside because it's burning on the inside. And I am understanding it because I'm getting into his word. I'm sitting in his presence. I am paying more attention to him as king than to the world's kingdoms. 
I'm paying more attention to how then shall I live, Lord. Would you teach me, instruct me when I read your word, when I get into worship, when I pray, when I go on prayer walks, when I go on retreats, when I fast, when I come to church. Show me your ways that I might live by them and ultimately empower me to live that way because your spirit poured out in me, because of Jesus, the one who embodied the fullness of the kingdom perfectly. As we come back to this table, we're coming back again and again and again to a God that is contrary and different. He is separate than this world. My kingdom is not of this world. But we're coming back again to a kingdom that is like Matthew 13. It's a parable of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed which is planted and then it grows up into the biggest tree in the garden. Can we come back again to a table that declares grace and forgiveness, empowerment to live the ways of God and say, Lord, would you plant these seeds in me and let them grow up huge, that they would burn in me and then burn around me and infect the world that I live in? The kingdom of God is like the seed sown and some of it falls on the path and it's rocky and it's stolen by the enemy and some falls here and the thorns choke it up and some falls on good soil and it grows up and it produces 30, 50, 100 fold. God, would your word come? Jesus, the word of God, John chapter one. Would I come back to this table over and over and over again? Would I practice this because I want to get your word, your values, your characteristic, your nature. I want you, I want you to affect me. I want to get you in me so that my belief might affect the way that I live and more so that your rule and reign might more fully come over me. That the way that I live, that w- the way that I believe, that what I'm doing, that who I am would come under the full rule and reign and subjection as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven that then gets sent into the world of, of the earth of Colorado Springs. I want to come into that full rule. I want the nature of the king to affect me. I want the character of the king and the relationship to burn and in me and affect me. And I want the authority of the king over me because I am subject to the king. Church, let our hearts, let the kingdom come and his will be done in earth in us first. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's in you, even as it is in heaven. So church, close your eyes with me as we come to this table and I just pray a prayer over us. Lord, I ask as we come again to this table, I ask, I ask for your holy way. I ask for your kingdom come in us, your church, your people, that your rule and your reign, your nature and your authority, your character, your relationship would burn within us. Your people that we would so believe and value your ways that it would affect, it would affect the way that we live. And that we would trust in your ways, the way of the kingdom, the way of the king, looking intently at Jesus, looking at this cross again today and saying, Lord, your way, Jesus who declares, I am the way and the truth and the life, We want to believe. Help us in our unbelief. Help us, Spirit. Meet us again. Impart your grace again that we might then go and and impart it to others. Empower us again with an understanding of, of who you are. Fill us up again. 
that we might go and, and, and be like Jesus and embody the kingdom of God to this world. That your kingdom would come and your will would be done in us. Be king of our hearts, we pray, O oh Jesus. Even as it is in heaven. It's in your name we pray.